chapter 95, if you would, please. Psalm chapter number 95. If you would stand when you find the text, we'll read it, and then I'll give you the thought for this morning out of this passage of Scripture. Psalm chapter number 95, the Bible says in verse number 1, O come, let us sing unto the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is His also. The sea is His, and He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture." And the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. I'm going to pick on Brother Kelly uh, Kramer. Would you ask the Lord to bless the preaching this morning, please, brother? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The American Psychological Association had an article back in 2020 titled Stress in America. And this is what they said. They said it's a national mental health crisis across this country. It says we're facing a national health crisis that could yield serious health and social consequences for years to come. The reality is that's actually true. Stress and a lack of rest and anxiety and worry and all the rest of that stuff does wreak havoc on your physical health. It's an emotional state. It's a mental state that actually wreaks havoc on your body if it's not reduced at some point and controlled on some level. Over time, it creates major issues. That was back in 2020. And they said, when I'm, I'm looking and researching this this week, it says it's higher in 2023 it's worsening mental health of people across this country. The American Institute of Stress says this. There's an article that says, Stress levels of Americans is rising rapidly in 2022, new study finds. What one of the studies showed is here's the different things that people are stressed about. One of them was COVID-19. They're, they're, still, they're still stressing you out about that. You realize that, Right? You, you read these articles, if you notice the headline, it's like new flu all the time, new sickness all the time, spreading rapidly. And you, you click on it and you find out like, oh, that's actually what's that, the RS, whatever thing. I don't know what kind of flus the things are, whatever, who cares, I'm not a doctor and all that stuff. But when I read it, because I'm not stupid either, you know, I read the article and I'm like, oh, actually, when you read the details of this article, that actually this thing is really not that big of a deal. Like you, you're in the danger category if you're over 100 and you have underlying issues, like you're on life support on a ventilator in the hospital already, you might die if you get this. Well, that's always been true of mankind as long as you've been alive. 
But they're constantly pushing the fear and constantly pushing the stress. And to be honest with you, not to be a jerk, there are a lot of things to stress about nowadays. It seems like more than ever before. Whether that's an actual reality because things are getting worse or the fact that we are so tuned in and programmed to this world now and you're able to log into this world and you're able to click into this world and you're able to view into this world problems that have always been there but now all the negative news hits the news because people's hearts are sinful and what they like is all that bad negative stuff. You just kind of eat that stuff up. You ever get around somebody that all they ever want to do is talk about all the tragedies they've heard about? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you know somebody like that? It's like, man, you don't have anything to tell me about if it's not some kind of negative news. You never call me to say, hey, did you hear his brother so-and-so got a new job and his salary is doubled? Aren't we happy for him? No, no, that's not what you hear. Did you hear that they got a divorce after 20-something years of marriage? No, I didn't, but thanks for ruining my day because that doesn't feed my soul at all. But something about our human nature sure likes that stuff, man. And some very evil people have figured that out about your human nature with a spirit behind them that is not the spirit of God. That's taught them how to feed your stress levels. People are stressed about inflation. Rising inflation. People are stressed bad about Russia, Ukraine, and China. One of the studies showed this, 81% of the people polled said they were very stressed about supply chain issues. You guys realize you're Americans? (laughs) The toilet paper crisis of 2020, did you ever forget? I mean, really, that's what we're freaking out about, you know? You realize that if they run out of some particular thing in the store, you're going to be okay, you're going to survive. I mean, if they don't have eggs, just buy some chicken. Either way, you're getting tuned into the same kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? What are you worrying about? You're Americans. But we got people stressed, I mean, stressed to the point of affecting their health about supply chain issues. Inflation. Well, you know what? You know, you might have, you might not be able to keep the American dream up on the same level that it's always been for so long. Are you going to survive if you got to downgrade your house a little bit? Are you going to survive if you got to trade in your really nice car for a cheaper one? Are you going to be okay? Are you going to be able to breathe? Are you still going to be alive? <gasps> Whatever are we going to do? You might have to shop at Walmart to get your clothes rather than designer. Are you going to survive with that? I mean, is that going to be okay? Think about it. People are stressed about this stuff. 65% are stressed about money in the economy. I think that's because the 35% are figuring, well, the government will just give us some more, or I can just live in mom and dad's basement. I mean, what's the difference? I'm 40 years old and I've been here my whole life anyhow. Folks, we got a lot of stress on us. And what I want to preach to you on this morning is a restful heart. Look at the invitation you get in Psalm 95, verse number 1. He says, Oh, come. Oh, come. If you're one of these people that has stress on you, and let's just admit it, we all got stress on us. Can we just be honest for a second? Honestly, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like I'm not a worry wart. I actually am quite the worry wart. I mean, it manifests itself for me in lots of different ways. It's like, did you put the alarm on? Did you lock all the windows? I mean, I can lay down in bed and be like, oh, no, wait a minute. And I got to text the girls because I'm too lazy to get up. Hey, did you guys lock the windows? Did you check the alarm? Is the alarm set? Is everything taken care of? Make sure it's all locked. What's the problem? I'm worrying. Dad, I'm going for a run. No, it's almost dusk. I don't want you out on the trail. I'm worrying. I understand stress. I understand worry. Listen, i got to worry about my own budget, but I'd be willing to bet you that of everybody in the room, I probably stress the church budget more than anybody else in the room. i got to double worry on that level. I understand a little bit about pressure. I understand a little bit about stress. I am not immune from it, but listen, I don't want to live my life worrying about tomorrow, worrying about what might happen, worrying about all the bad things that are coming. I want to live my life with rest in my soul and and rest in my heart and joy in my life. Come what may, I want the rest of God in my soul. I've had some problems. I, I certainly can't stand up here and cry because I know people that have had them worse than me. But look, let me just say a little bit, that's kind of a little bit of a trap. 
You know the devil will box you in sometimes when you have your own problems that are really burdening you down and you're really brokenhearted and you're genuinely stressed about what you're dealing with and then somebody comes along that has it worse than you. And then the guilt trip starts. Oh, yeah? Well, if you had my life, you wouldn't be complaining. Well, I don't have your life, okay? And the problems I have are actually pretty real to me. And my problems are burdening me down. I'm sorry, I'm not on your level. I'm not as godly as you, and I haven't been trusted with all the burdens that you have. But my burdens are still very real to me. Does that make sense to you this morning? I get that we get the guilt complex about feeling bad about our problems because other people have it worse, but the guilt complex won't change the fact that you got problems and that your heart is stressed and that there's burdens in your life. The guilt complex does not fix that problem. And the reality is, is your problems are real to you. Most of you have heard me use the illustration before, so I ask you to forgive me if you already know this one, but a lot of new people in our church, thank God for it. They haven't heard it. One thing clicked in my mind years ago because I, I know I'm, I, I'm a girl dad. I got all these girls. I never ever saw God giving me four girls and, and here I am with all these girls and God's used them to change me and teach me some things. I'm thankful for every one of them. Wouldn't change it if I could. But I'll never forget my youngest coming to me just having an absolute meltdown because my pit bull got a hold of her stupid little stuffed animal. Look, she had a million of them. You understand what I'm saying? You're lucky to survive walking through her room without tripping over all her stuffed animals. And, and it, it, when the dog ate this particular one, I'm like, what's special about this one? I don't know what was special. Maybe it was just the one that got ate. I don't know, but that one really mattered in that moment. And she was, and I remember like thinking, like, that's ridiculous. You got a million of them. Thank God. Let's throw that one away. You know, we can clean out a little bit. It hit me in that moment when I saw her because she did this. <laughs> I mean, she was like grief stricken over this slain stuffed animal. And it hit me. That actually really means something to her. So me saying, oh, knock it off, that's stupid, doesn't really fix the problem, genius. That was my parenting style back in the day. And it hit me like, that ain't going to fix the problem. You know what fixed the problem? A little bit of a hug by her new one. She forgot about it and ran out with her life, right? She got over it. But I, I realize God really did use something that stupid to teach me that when people come to you with their problems, even if your view of it is that's not a big deal, it might be to them. This morning's message is not going to be like a get over your, your sensitivities and get over your stress and deal with it. This morning's message is meant to help us realize that there is a place we can go with our stress. There's a place we can go with our problem. There's a place of rest, if you see it in verse number 11, that God wants you to enter into. He says, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter in my rest. God said, look, I had a place for them to come. I had a source for them to get to, a place that they could step into out of their problem and into a place that was peaceful and restful from God. And I was there going to shelter them and take care of them. But these people fell short of my rest because they did something that grieved me and angered me and frustrated me. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I believe Christians all over this country are grieving the Holy Spirit of God and vexing the Holy Spirit of God and quenching the Holy Spirit of God. And we're bearing our own burdens and not bringing them to God, not learning to walk with God, not learning to find that rest. And it shows in our stress levels. I don't think anybody could be more stressed today than a born-again Christian with a biblical worldview. I mean, there's stuff the world's all stressing about, the economy and COVID and supply chain and war with Ukraine and all the rest of the stuff they're stressing about. But how much multiplied is that if you're a born-again Christian who recognizes that Almighty God is God and He's got the answers and He's got the fixes and every time we step farther away from Him, the more into destruction we're going to go and the world's not hearing and they're not seeing and common sense isn't even common anymore. Science is gone. And yet they still put their faith in science. They can't see the forest for the trees. And it's like stressful. And there is nobody in this country who should have more peace, more joy, more power, more confidence, more calmness in this day and in this age, right now, than a born-again Christian with the Spirit of God in their heart. He says, come. What's he calling them to? He's calling them to a place of joy. Look at it. Let us sing unto the Lord. 
A place of thanksgiving, verse 2. He says, let us come with his presence with thanksgiving. Look at verse 6. It's a place of worship. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Now, doctrinally, the psalm we're looking at is actually applies to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. I mean, can you really walk into the presence of God and kneel down his physical presence? I'm not talking about his spiritual presence. We know we can. I'm talking about his physical presence. I mean, is the Lord actually reigning right now on this earth? No, he's not. Doctrinally, Psalm 95 is not applying to you and I. But spiritually this morning, I guarantee you spiritually this morning, this whole chapter ought to and should and does in one way or another, whether in the good side of it and the joy and the rest in your soul and the, and the presence of God and the voice of God in your life, it's either applying to you that way this morning or the judgment of God is applying to you. And sometimes the simplest way to know the judgment of God is your lack of peace and joy your stress in your heart. Is, is the Holy Spirit of God not supposed to be a comforter? Well, if I'm not experiencing comfort, something has happened to my fellowship with God. If I'm not getting the grace I need to make it through my, my bereavement or my struggle or my problem or my stress or whatever it is, if I'm not getting the grace I need, it's not God that has failed. It's not God that has fallen short. It's not his promises that are no longer applying. It has to be me because God's perfect and I know that I'm not. So I have to change my mindset, change my heart to line up with God to get God's promises out of that book. So what we have to understand, and I think it's especially pressing on us this morning, because we believe in rightly dividing the word of truth, and we understand that there's doctrine in this Bible that does not apply to us. Nobody brought a sheep in here this morning to slit its throat down at this altar. And if you did, we call on the police. You understand what I'm saying? You whacked out, man. You weird and weird. But that's in the Bible, isn't it? Well, why do we not do that? Because we understand, listen... Listen, people criticize those of us that believe in rightly dividing the word of truth. And just so you understand, we're not hyper-dispensationalists. They will label us hyper-dispensationalists because they're biblically uneducated. Not being mean, I'm just saying, factually speaking, not from a mean heart, speaking the truth in love. The truth is they're biblically uneducated when they say we're hyper-dispensationalists. We are not. A hyper-dispensationalist doesn't think that you need to preach out of Psalm chapter 95. A hyper-dispensationalist doesn't believe in the Lord's Supper or baptism. A hyper-dispensationalist only believes in certain portions of Paul's books. A hyper-dispensationalist believes the church started somewhere around the end of the book of Acts. We don't believe any of that foolishness. We're not hyper-dispensationalists. We're moderate dispensationalists. Now listen, every Christian on the planet is a dispensationalist on some level. Here's what I mean. Do you believe in an Old Testament versus a New Testament? You're a dispensationalist. See? We believe that Bible spells out the dispensing. That's what a dispensation is. It's a dispensing. You know what we have in the bathroom? We have paper towel what? Oh, we have a soap what? What does it do? It gives out the amount you need at the time you need it. That's what God has done with the truth. He's dispensed the truth to mankind gradually as time went on, as mankind needed the next step that God's given him. We're dispensationalists. So we understand as dispensationalists that doctrinally a lot of this stuff doesn't apply to us, but let me just say this about your Bible. Practically speaking, God can give you any promise God wants to give you out of that Bible. You understand that this morning? It's a great question. I've been getting text messages and phone calls and written out questions like, hey, you know, I was reading my Bible and God spoke to me here and here's how I was taking this. Is that okay? Because I know we're dispensational. Yes, it's okay. Listen, if God gave you a verse from the Bible that said to go slit a, a, a lamb's throat at the altar, that's not okay because you're violating known doctrine to take a claim and a promise that's not yours. If you think God's giving you a land grant in Israel, that's not okay. That is not to you. You understand that this morning. That is for the Jews. God's given them that property. It's God's land and that's why it will be and is and always will be the center of the attention of the world and it always will be an issue until Jesus Christ rules and reigns in that property. 
I don't care what you think about the West Bank or the rest of that stuff. That is literally your opinion and my opinion is beside the point. God does not care what we think about something we really know nothing about. That's his property. You can't take that promise. If you're not violating known doctrine to you, why can't you take a promise from the Old Testament and say, God spoke to my heart from that passage of Scripture. That really means something to me. God, I know that was you. Let me give you an example. A missionary by the name of John Patton. 18, uh, I think he died in 1907, and he was 83 when he died. I think it was 1924 or something like that. 1824 he was born. 1800s, died early 1900s. John Patton was reading Psalm chapter 2. You know who Psalm chapter 2 is to, doctrinally? Thou shalt give me the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. That is written to Jesus Christ. Doctrinally, that is about Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in this earth. Doctrinally, that's about him bringing out a bride out of the Gentiles, the, uh, the heathen for thine inheritance. John Patton's reading his Bible and God spoke to him out of that. You know what he did? He went to the New Hebrides Islands. He particularly, literally got there a month after he got there. His wife died. And his son, who was, who was just a few weeks old, died. And he stayed in those islands. Came home on furlough, got remarried, went back to the islands. There were a bunch of heathen headhunters. And he claimed, the heathen shalt thou give me for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. He said, God, I want these heathen for the name of Jesus Christ. And the story is told that he won an entire island of heathens to Jesus Christ. They claim profession of faith in the Lord Jesus. An entire island by claiming a promise that wasn't to him. You got to understand the power of that book in your lap. Yes, we're doctrinal. That's the first application of scripture. No, we don't overstep doctrine to claim a promise that's not to us. But if it's not correct in the word of God, I mean, did not Jesus say, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to any creatures? Did he not say, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men? The guy was not outside of the Bible by saying, God, you spoke to my heart when I read that thing. I'm claiming that promise and I'm going to go preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to these people. And you're going to say God didn't do that. I'm trying to tell you this morning, God can give you some help from Psalm chapter 94, even though this is technically about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. We need to get some help out of this thing. You're going to notice in verses 1 through 7 where the heart of rest comes from. He says in verse number 2, let us sing unto the Lord. Hey, what kind of music are you listening to? No, I'm not a legalist, just so you know. I get so sick of people saying that. that it's, it's, you're just jumping to conclusions because in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, a bunch of Baptist preachers got carried away fighting the culture. I'm not here to fight the culture. All cultures got problems and they always will. Hello, I'm here to give you Bible. Forget the culture. What kind of music are you listening to? He says, come, let us sing. What's one of your commandments in Ephesians chapter 5? It says, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What happens when you're drunk? Y'all playing ignorant. <laughs> when you're drunk, it affects the way you walk. It affects the way you talk. It gives you boldness you wouldn't have without it. And it puts most people in jail eventually. Because <laughs> you get stupid. You don't start acting under the control anymore. You're under the influence of something else. Isn't it wild that God said, and be not drunk with wine wearing his excess? A commandment. But, contrast to that, be filled with the Spirit. That's a commandment of God to you and I as Christians that we are to be filled with the Spirit of God. And the analogy is alcohol versus the Spirit of God. They're on the opposite sides of the equation. They don't go together. He says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because when you get filled with the Spirit of God, it affects the way you walk. It affects the way you talk. It gives you boldness you don't normally have on your own. Something inside of you is motivating you to speak up for Jesus Christ, to stand up for Jesus Christ, to change the way you're walking in your life. And it's not coming out of pressure from legalism. 
You can't have, I mean, you guys are so busy talking and fellowship and laughing and cutting up and everything else. That he's up there like, all right, it's time to get started. If you would, please grab your hymnals and go ahead and stand and turn the page number. And we're, he's already singing and we're just like still going to beating the piano as loud as she can. You don't get that under legalism, folks. You obviously want to be here. I mean, that's a blessing. You don't get people showing up an hour before church. I mean, we were running late Wednesday night. We got here like, I don't know what it was, 6.30 or something. Do you remember? There's people in the parking lot waiting for us. Like, oops, we're late. I thought the building was open. I remember was standing around the parking lot talking. Like, no, none of us have a key. I'm like, oh, geez, okay. Like, that never happens. 30 minutes before the service, there's people waiting in the parking lot. An hour after the service, I'm looking at Rob just like, start shutting the lights off, man. We got to go, man. <laughs> Like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know, man. You know, I don't want it to change, by the way. I'm not trying to run you off. We just get a rotation, so if I'm ready to go, I can go, and somebody else is responsible for locking up. We'll take turns, you know. Folks, you don't get that by legalism. Don't give me that garbage. I'm not preaching legalism at you. I'm telling you the Spirit of God is supposed to be filling you if you're saved, and you're commanded to be submitted to that thing. So how do we do that? Has anybody got that one figured out? <laughs> Be not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he explains it. It's Ephesians 5.18. You can go look at it. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Folks realize music has a lot of power to it. You guys recognize who Lucifer was before the fall? Do you look at God's description of him in the book of Ezekiel? It says, thy tabrets and thy pipes. Lucifer was the head of the music program in heaven before he fell. What do you think he has done after the fall with that same gift? Come on, man. You cannot look me in the eyes and be an honest Christian and say, yeah, preacher, I walk with Jesus Christ and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost while I'm listening to gangster rap. You lost your mind, man. I ain't your grandma. I don't believe your little lies, man. You don't look so innocent to me. You turn that stuff on. I told you before, man, I can't be standing at a pump in the gas station, you know, pumping my, and some kid pulls up with that stuff, gets out, and I was acting like, you know, I'm like, well, man, your music is in, oh, stinking beat you up to your own music, man. There's something about it. You understand what I'm saying? You know what, you know what gets me? This is bad. You know what gets me? Bagpipes. Yeah, I know that's weird, ain't it? Bagpipes, it's in my blood. It's a Celtic blood in me. I hear those bagpipes going and that drum roll going. And I want to put blue paint on my face. Just be like, ah! <laughs> I'm sorry. That was, visitors, please forgive me. That was very unprofessional. I probably will never be very professional, so just, I'm trying. Music has power, folks. You turn on some of that country music and you wonder why you're all depressed. You're thinking about your ex. Hey, look, they're an ex for a reason. You think about your ex, you should say, thank you, Jesus, I love you. You're a great God. That's an ex. Why all of a sudden are you going back there? No wonder you don't have any rest in your soul. You ain't listening to the right stuff. You want to be filled with the Spirit of God, it should affect your singing. That's the invitation. I'm telling you, I, I have to, I'm very susceptible to music. Very. I was just like, you know, lifting weights. I mean, try lifting weights to some kind of a stinking opera. It doesn't work. You understand what I'm saying? It just doesn't work. I got to get angry a little bit. You know what I mean? So I have to watch it. Because I'm telling you, that stuff don't fill you with the Spirit of God. You got to watch out for music. Do you know you live in a generation that the music is completely messed up? Church is centered around music, which we'll get to in just a second. How about this one? Now, here's an interesting one. This is interesting. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Listen to the words. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my strength, with all I am. I seek to honor His commands. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. I've heard how Christians long ago were brought before a tyrant's throne and they were told that he would spare their lives if they would renounce the name of Christ. But one by one, though they chose to die, the Son of God, they would not deny. Like a great angelic choir sings, I can almost hear their voices ring. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my strength, with all I am. I seek to honor His command. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Now the years have come and the years have gone, but the cause of Jesus still goes on. Now our time has come to count the cost, to reject this world, to embrace the cross. Reject the world, embrace the cross. 
But one by one, let us live our lives for the one who died to give us life. Till the trumpet sounds on the final day, let us proudly stand and boldly say, To the Lamb of God who bore my pain and took my place, who wore my shame, to seek, I will seek to honor his commands. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Pretty good words, ain't it? You know who wrote that? You know who wrote that? Ray Bolts. Singing to churches all over this country. You know, he was married for 30 years with four kids, divorced his wife, and came out as an open homosexual. Unrepentant, open homosexual before he wrote the song. Why is preacher against contemporary music? Watch the lamb, thank you, the altar, another child to hold. Seasons change, allegiance, the concert of a lifetime, no greater sacrifice, a Christmas album, honor and glory, the classics, a concert of a lifetime for kids. And then they put it to this music that's worldly music. The music's got the drums going on. I mean, literally, you could pull the name of Jesus out of most of the songs nowadays and stick your girlfriend's name in and it would work. I'm trying to tell you, folks, something's going on in this nation. Something's going on among the churches. And people openly knew the guy was homosexual and the song made it to the top of the charts. He was open about it. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. You're talking about the Word of God, aren't you? What Lamb are you talking about? That is twisted. I, listen, I'm not trying to offend you, but I'm not pulling the punch. I am telling you, there's a spirit moving in this world today, and it's a spirit of unrest, and it's among the people of God trying to present things as though they're Jesus when they're not. You guys know the story of the, I've decided to follow Jesus? You guys know the story on that one? That thing came... Because uh, uh, some missionaries during the Welsh revivals were, went over and were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me give you the story. More than 100 years ago, northern India was a very superstitious re region. Following the great Welsh revivals, Welsh missionaries journeyed to the Assam area of northeast India to bring the gospel to tribes of idol-worshipping headhunters. In one village, one of the fierce hen hunters listened to the missionary and his heart grasped the good news of Christ. Not only did he believe, but his wife and two sons became Christians. As the redeemed man eagerly shared his newfound faith with other villagers, they too became believers. The changes among his people infuriated the village chief, summoning all the villagers, and the chief angrily addressed his, for the first convert among the tribe, renounce your faith or be killed. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man said, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. The incensed chief next ordered his archers to kill the man's young sons. He then harshly demanded, will you deny your faith? You've lost both your children. You will lose your wife too. The man solemnly spoke, though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back. Within minutes, his wife joined her two sons in heaven. The chief yelled, I'll give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and live. This is, there is no one for you in the world. Now facing death himself, the man again gave his steadfast reply, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. He shot and killed him. What happened is his words spread by the Holy Spirit of God and somebody later wrote that song, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And that song has been breathed on by the Holy Ghost of God and sung all over this nation and all over this world. It came from India and you sing it in America, it's in your hymn book. The power of God was on that to help God's people be filled with the Spirit of God. The witness of that thing is real. You guys know the mother of modern congregational singing, don't you? Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby wrote over 8,000 hymns and more than a million printed copies of her songs have gone around the world. She's all over your hymn book. You know, at six weeks old, she got an infection in her eyes and lost her eyesight. At six months old, her dad died. She was raised by her mom and her grandma who poured the Bible into her. They helped her memorize entire chapters of scriptures because she couldn't even read her Bible. She sat there and 
wrote song after song after song. She later said this, It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank him for the dispensation. You mean the dispensing of God? Yeah, the dispensing of God into her life. What did he dispense to her? He dispensed blindness to her. And she said, I'm so thankful that I'm blind. She said, if perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things around me. She also once said, when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. She wrote, pass me not, O gentle Savior, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Jesus is tenderly calling you home, calling today, calling today. Praise him, praise him, rescue the perishing. I mean, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. Talking about music, folks, it's powerful. Not only does the devil use it, but Almighty God uses it. You guys know the story of it as well with my soul? Man, this guy, Horatio Spafford, he had, he had a brutal life. He was a successful attorney and real estate investor who lost his fortune in the Chicago fire of 1871. And about the same time, his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. So he thought, well, I know what my wife and four remaining daughters need. We need a vacation. He put them on a ship and he was sending them across the ocean. And, and unfortunately, an accident happened and the ship sank and all four of his daughters drowned. His wife alone made it. She sent a message back to her husband that said, saved alone, what shall I do? And he jumped on a ship to go over there and to, to join up with his wife. And, and the captain of the ship knew he was on the ship and called him over and said, come here. We're passing the spot right now where your daughter's bodies are. And he said he walked up there and looked over the edge. He's looking into those waters and just the words of that song just flooded over his soul. It is well with my soul. He penned down the words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea bills roll. Five kids hard-working man, an investor, loses it all in a fire, then has to bury his little boy, then his four girls. Now listen to me for a minute. You and I sit there and it breaks our heart, right? We don't get it, man. The own emotional and mental struggles you and I would have to stay afloat, on top of that, can you imagine the way he worried about his wife, trying to help her? Could you imagine the mental distress and anguish and all the rest that she'd be going through? Talk about mental health issues. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And the Holy Ghost of God said, and you've been singing that, and church has been singing that all over the world for decades. And you start lifting up that song with a song leader in a church and you're singing and God's people are singing and the Holy Ghost of God starts flooding into that room and ministering to hearts and speaking to people. I mean, the power of God to bring rest into the soul came through a man's life who suffered dramatically, but he gave his gift to God and he put the right songs in himself. It's a singing. Look at verse 6. A restful heart is a singing heart and it's singing the right stuff. This modern-day music doesn't do it. They're praise and worship teams. I'm not bashing on everybody. Listen, I was taught in business, don't bash the competition because you undermine yourself. And I believe that. I agree with that. I'm not bashing the competition. I'm giving you the facts this morning. All over this country, you've got this shallow Christianity going on because they're selling you Jesus and giving the people what the people want. We're not here to give you what you want. We're here to give God something. And we're supposed to sing unto Him and give Him thanksgiving and give Him praise and worship. Words that have been twisted in this generation to make you think there's something they're not. What is it to thank God? Let us come before His presence with what? Thanksgiving, right? Go to Psalm 116, please. Psalm 116. Look at verse 17.
I will offer to thee the what? Sacrifice of thanksgiving? Oh, you mean I'm supposed to thank God? It's going to cost me something to thank God? Did you ever stop and think that maybe my problems and my stressors and my worries are because now God's given me a gift that is an opportunity for me to say, God, here, I owe you something. God, thank you for my problems. God, God, thank you that I lost the job. God, thank you that I didn't get the promotion. God, thank you for the bad news from the doctor. God, thank you for the marital issues. God, thank you for the heartbreaks. God, thank you for... God, you're God, and you know what you're doing. So thank you for being good. Hey, God is good whether you and I realize it or not. Bad things happen to good people, but you've got a God that will be there for you in the middle of your trouble and bring you out of it. If you'll stick with Him, if you'll let your heart rest in Him, if you'll sing unto Him, if you'll be thankful unto Him and bless His name, He'll take your problems and make you better off because of them, even though you don't think it's possible. That's how God works. Look at Psalm 107. Thanksgiving is a sacrifice. Psalm 107. Look at verse 22. In other words, my thanksgiving doesn't mean much when I get the raise. I owe him that. You understand what I'm saying? I owe a, hey, by the way, thank you. That, was, that really worked out good. Thank you. The church is growing. Thank you. I mean, that's literally the least I can do is stop and say thank you to the one who did it. <laughs> It's a blessing to see all these people. I don't know how many now, a whole bunch have joined this year. Never seen it like this in 60 years. It's just one of, thank you. Like, duh, I didn't do it, so you did it. Thank you. But man, to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, mm, that's another level. That's something that's deep in the heart and the soul of the individual offering it. Psalm 107, 22, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And declare his works with rejoicing. I'm talking about giving God thanks. I'm talking about having a restful heart. Back in Psalm 95, please. We need rest in our hearts. We're not experiencing it because we're putting on the news more than we're turning on some good music that has good doctrine, that's written from the right sources, that ministers to our souls. We're not experiencing it because we're more worried about God. Please help me not to lose my job. God, I will the cost to go down. God, uh, God, please, 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 give me, give me, give me, give me. And not saying, Lord, thanks. I'm really thankful. Oh, wow, the gas prices went up. Thank you, Lord. Are you crazy? Yeah, probably. But it feels awful good. <laughs> I'm getting old enough, fast enough. I'm getting enough grays and enough wrinkles. I don't need to add to them, man. They're coming on their own. What, what do you mean, thank God? Yeah, it's going to crunch my budget. You know what that means? I get a chance to see God promise to do what God promised he'd do, and he'll supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Talking to sacrifice of thanksgiving. You know what worship is in verse number 6? Oh, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Praise and worship. And nowadays... Praising and worshiping for their homosexual bride or husband. Because God's a God of grace. Like, I know that. You know, God was gracious under the law. Aren't you glad you're not under the law? Not one of us would make it. What is worship? Look at the text. Look at the verse. Come let us worship and do what? So they say praise and worship, and they're doing the opposite of bowing down. Nobody knows the Bible doctrine. Nobody studied the thing out to say, are we doing this God's way or not? I'll show you what worship is. That's a humbling position to be in. I'm as small as I'm going to get. I'm putting myself all the way down. You go ahead and look the word up when you go home. Look it up in your Bible. You look up connect worship in your Bible. You'll see every time they're bowing their head. They're bowing to God. When they worship an idol, they bow to an idol. They pray at an idol. They say it's an aid to worship. We'll talk about that tonight. No, it's not an aid to worship. It's a demonic spirit. I'll show you, I'll show you Bible verse to prove it. You're worshiping. Lucifer told Jesus to bow down and worship me. You know what worship is? It's where you bow down. 
You know what it is? It's God, thank you for these daughters that you gave me. I, Lord, here she is on the altar. She's yours. I'm giving her, I'm bowing down and worshiping you with a sacrifice, a thanksgiving, and a song in my heart. She's not mine. She's yours. That means she goes wherever you take her. She does whatever you tell her. I don't own her. I don't control her. Once my daughter becomes an adult, she is on her own. She is God's. I don't get to run her life. Hey, listen, I just want him to follow God. I got to give back to him what he's given to me. I got to lay it down at that altar from the youngest age to the oldest age. I have no right to them. They're God's. That wife he's given me, God, thank you for my wife. She's yours. Abraham worshipped God when he laid Isaac down on the altar. God said, go ahead and sacrifice him. He believed God was going to raise him from the dead. He was going to plunge that knife through the heart of his son that he loved. Because he thought, okay, God, if you make me do this, if you make me do the most horrible thing you could ever ask me to do, if you put me through the darkest moment, the billows of sorrows, I know you'll bring a miracle out of it. That's the faith that man had. He was going to do it. And God said, no, no, stop. I just wanted to make sure you really meant it. That's worship. Maybe you got some marriage issues this morning. Here it is, God. Maybe you got problems with your kids. Here they are, God. They're yours. Career. Maybe you could worship God by laying. Maybe everything is going good. Maybe you should just thank him because you haven't stopped to thank him. I'm talking about a restful heart. You stop worrying about your kids so much if you put them in the hands of God. You stop worrying so much about your spouse if you put them in the hands of God. But it's hard for us to do. Notice in verse 7, we're almost done this morning. Here's the key. Now, I want that restful heart. I want to sing right. I want to thank God. I want to worship God. I want to give God everything. I want to find the rest and the peace of God in my soul. But look at it. Verse 7, For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Today, if ye will hear His voice. See that? You want to know why so many Christians have no rest in their soul? It's an invitation. Come. You know what he wants you to do? He wants you to hear him. He wants you and I to hear him. Look at John chapter 17. John chapter 7, verse 17. Keep your finger here in Psalms because we're coming right back. Look at John chapter 7, verse 17. You guys, it's a condition. I mean, man, God, God, God. Think about this. God wants you to hear from him today, right now. John seven seventeen. If any man will do his will, I want to know the will of God for my life. You know what most people mean when they say that? I don't want to stay single. I don't want to stay poor. I don't want to stay in Michigan. I don't want to stay in this church. It's just, I just want to know God's will. Usually they mean, I want God to tell me what I'm wanting God to tell me because I want to hear what I want. You want to do God's will for your life? God's will. Plus nothing, minus nothing. What a, God, what do you want? I will do it. If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Now look at Psalm 95, 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. Put these two verses together. When somebody really, really, genuinely wants the will of God more than anything else in the world, they will know when God is speaking to them, and they will know when the doctrine is good. If they will hear his voice, he will speak to them. It is a heart issue. You don't have time for all the references. Boy, I'm reading through the major prophets and the minor prophets right now. Did you know God said if a prophet's deceived, I've deceived him? 
And he says, they sit and people listen to deceive prophets because they're deceived people that want deception. So God says, if you want deception, I'll give you a deceived prophet to preach to deceive people. Because people want to be deceived. Tell me what I want to hear. Don't you dare talk to me like that. You know what it is? It's an authority problem. You know why God chooses the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe? And God still has not recanted the call and the command of God on the preacher to preach. You know why? Because preaching separates the men from the boys, no disrespect ladies, but spiritually speaking, the men from the boys. And guy gets up and starts preaching the Bible at you and it's like, don't talk to me like that. I don't care if you're saying the truth. You know what that is? It triggers a response in you that says, shut him up. You know, you can make people so mad they'll assault you preaching. Literally happened just a couple of weeks ago. I was preaching a nice message on the blood of Jesus Christ out on the street. Most everybody was fine. Some stinking guys coming by, comes up there, blank him, blankety blank you, blank this, blank that. I mean, literally just would not leave getting aggressive. BJ was worried about him shooting me, so stood right in between the two of us, God bless him. He's my bullet stop. <laughs> like, I, th- I remember seeing him standing alone. I'm thinking, why is he standing right there? He's standing right in between the two of us because the guy was that off the head. About what? Preaching. You know what preaching does, boy? It smokes out the difference. You know what we are about here in this church? Every one of you is welcome here. Every last one of you. I want, I want people to come. I'm begging God to grow this church. I'm begging God for more people. I'm begging God to make me a better pastor, a better minister of Jesus Christ. I want to be kinder and gentler. I want to have a softer heart. I want to be sweeter, more helpful, more wisdom. I'm begging God for all that as time goes on. You know who I want to do that for? The sheep of his pasture. If you're a cotton-picking goat, you don't want the Bible, and you don't want the truth, and you want to make this church look like you want it to look, and you want us to preach the doctrines you want us to preach, this ain't the right place for you. I got a six foot four, six foot five. He's a monster. And listen, I tuned him out and preached in spite of his cussing. You think I'm going to come in here and compromise the truth? Absolutely not. We're here to hear the voice of God. So if God says it's wrong, we're going to say it's wrong. If God says it's right, we're going to say it's right. And if you don't like that, you got the wrong church because we want God in here. If you will hear his voice. If you won't, then you won't. Why do you preach the way you preach? Because that's the way I was trained. And every time I quit preaching like this, the church starts dying. So you go, you know, you think you got to figure it out how to get it done. You go start your own church and make it happen. Good for you. We could swell these numbers. Think I'm stupid? Know how to sell. We ain't about growing a church. We're about growing God's people and feeding God's people and leading souls to Jesus Christ and having the spirit and presence and power of God. We're about the peace of God and the presence of Almighty God in the troubles and trials and the darkness of life, having the power of God step in and keep us in the saddle in spite of the sinful world. If you'll hear his voice. It's your choice this morning. Look at the problem and we're done. Verse 8, harden not your heart as in the provocation. You know why people won't hear God? It is not because God stopped talking. I said it on the street last weekend and I said, I don't claim that I have wisdom. But the book of Proverbs says, wisdom crieth out in the street. Its voice is heard in the street. You ain't going to church anymore. We'll bring church to you. Wisdom's crying out in the street. You got all kinds of sounds pushing at you all the time. You know what God wants? God wants to speak to you. Problem is, when God starts talking, you harden your heart. You know why Israel hardened their heart in the provocation? The one time it's because they're out in the wilderness and they got really, really, really thirsty and they were afraid they were going to die of dehydration. And they started murmuring and they started complaining. I mean, come on, mamas, can't you understand that? First time you see your kids start cramping because they're dehydrated. You're like, man, that's dangerous. What's going on? Our kids are going to die. In Egypt it wasn't like this. Why don't we go back to Egypt? He said, harden not your heart is in the problem. They provoke God because when the problems showed up and the dryness showed up and they went through a bad spell in their life when it didn't seem like God was there. 
Don't you understand that's reality sometimes? It's not always mountaintop in the Christian life. So sick of that false spirituality. Reality is it gets hard sometimes. You start murmuring and complaining and criticizing and thinking, well, God ain't going to come through. They provoked him. You know what else they provoked him? He said, go over into Canaan land. And they sent the spies over there. And they come back and like, man, God was right about this place. That's a land that flows with milk and honey. We couldn't even carry a cluster of grapes. We had to have a staff between us to get. Look at this, man. And he said, but there's giants in the land. Oh, well, we can't do that. It's just too much. I mean, really? This tiny little addition is going to cost us what? And now we got to do fire suppression. Oh, fire suppression. It's costing how much? Is that really responsible? We can't cross over. And they began to doubt God when God told them cross over. Well, God, it's too much. We can't do that. We haven't got the budget for that. God said cross over. They said, oh, God can't do it. Some of you are staring at your giants. And you got some giants in your life. And you're saying, God can't do it. Well, those promises aren't to us because we rightly divide. All that we really get out of serving the Lord is persecution and afflictions and tribulations and distresses and necessities and more. Yeah, that's all there is to it? No, I've been through that side and I've also seen God do more for me than I ever imagined. I ever imagined. You know what God did for me this week? He gave me a flashback. Any of you ever had that? We call it deja vu. Ever, ever get that? Where all of a sudden you feel something or remember something that you haven't felt in 21 years. Just like it was yesterday. God gave me that this week. I mean, I remember just like it was yesterday being in Bible school, worrying about being able to pay this astronomical school bill and, and trying to work while I'm going to school full time and what am I going to do and where am I going to live and now i got a fiancé that i got to marry. There's no doubt about that. That's got to happen. Amen. Hallelujah. It was the right thing too. And what am I going to... And then dropping out of that school, starting all over again in some little, little hodunk church in the middle of the mountains in North Carolina because the preacher was a man of God and I was getting Bible and I knew God was in it. And everybody's saying, you're crazy. And I'm thinking, how am I going to find a job? And I'm sleeping in the church. Sleeping on a pew in the church. Engaged. I cannot believe her dad let me marry her. <laughs> I said, you're nuts, boy. Somebody dispensing this kid. Put him with Hoffa, you know what I mean? Get him out of here. And it's like, it literally took me back to being 23 or 24 years old. And, I, and I'm looking around at the house God's given me and three cars in my driveway and four kids and a wife and a church that's growing and a freedom and liberty of God to preach in this pulpit the way God called me to preach. And I'm just overwhelmed with what God's, I cannot believe God's done it. With nothing, nothing. 11 people in a living room in 2008 during the middle of the biggest recession since the Great Depression. Multiple businessmen in the church. If you'd have done this three years ago like we told you, we'd have a building already. Oh, shut up. That's why God didn't let me because you'd have thought you were the one that funded God's work. And now we need God. God can do it. What is it? I don't know what it is. I don't know what your giant is. I'm telling you, God can do it. Story of a man walking down a road on a nice Saturday morning. He crosses a bridge and he looks over the bridge and there's a fisherman down there. He stands there and watches. You know, a guy doesn't see him there. He catches a big one, pulls that thing out. Big old monster bass. Hooks it, throws it back. Casts again, pulls in another big one. Big old monster. Wow, man, there's some good fish in there. Throws it back. Catches a little one. Puts the little one in his bucket. Catches another. I says, sir, what are you doing? You catch and release? He said, no, I'm going to eat them. He said, why are you throwing the big ones back and keeping all the little ones? He said, because all I got is an eight-inch skillet. <laughs> Some of you need to go buy a bigger skillet. Because God's done something for you, hasn't he? Did you harden your heart thinking God can't give you the bigger fish? No, I'm not a charismatic, and I know what dispensation I'm in. And I'm telling you this morning that God Almighty loves you and wants to give you rest for your soul, wants to meet your needs, wants to take care of you, wants to get you in promised land. And if you don't start believing God, you're never going to find the promises that are sitting here this morning waiting for you to come get them. Come. No, no, no. I, I will as soon as. No. Now. 
Yeah, but once God, no, no. Where are you getting that stuff from the Bible? Now. God won't accept me. If one more time somebody tells me I got to clean up before I get right with God, I got to clean up before I get saved, I got to quit this or that before I come to God, I'm going to stink and choke them. Where are you getting that from the Bible? You got to get to God because you need him. He's not come to call the righteous, but sinners repent. Come right now. It ain't going to work out if you don't. There's an invitation to come. And this morning you can walk in here burdened and troubled and trials and difficulties and issues and see no way out. And you can get down here and say, God, I'm going to sing unto you. I'm going to thank you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. And my problem is what it is. If you take it away, great. If you don't, great. But it's yours. I'm putting it on the altar. Please speak to my heart. And when you tell me what to do, I won't harden up against you. And you watch how big God actually is in your life. Stand to our feet this morning, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.